Welcome to the Cross Loganville's podcast channel. Thanks for joining us as we continue our series on Ephesians. If you're watching online, we're so glad uh, that you've joined us here at the Cross Loganville. And uh, we've been going through a series through the book of Ephesians. And uh, I want to kind of recap where we were last week. If you got your Bibles, I would invite you to turn to Ephesians chapter 5. I'm kind of building on a thought that we shared last week. And if I had to title today's talk, I would title it Walking in Freedom. But last week, basically, just to recap, first couple of verses talk about imitating God and why it's important, as Paul writes to these believers in Ephesus, that they understand that they're children of God and God's called us to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. And he's told us to mimic God, follow the example of Christ, uh, reflect the goodness of God in your life no matter where you're at. Then he transitioned and talked about avoiding sin. There's two major umbrellas we hit last week. The first part of it is talking about avoiding sexual immorality, impurity, and all this. And then he talked about really uh, avoiding with your mouth and your tongue and your talk, a foolish kind of talking, a filthy, degrading, shameful kind of talking toward others, as well as putting aside any type of coarse jesting. Okay, I want to build off of the sexual uh, immorality piece, if you will. And uh, what I'm going to talk about is not just applied, honestly, just to uh, sexual sin. It can be applied to any bondage area that you have. And so whether it would be alcohol or whether it would be drugs or whether, what, what, whatever the issue that can lead you into bondage, I pray that as you listen to this, that you would kind of extract some of those things and make application to your own life. Because deep uh, down inside, I can tell you, God desires to see each and every one of us walk in freedom with him, following the example of Christ, and walking as children of God, imitating our Father. Okay, so let's open up our hearts and minds. Father, I do pray that as we continue to worship you in spirit and in truth, uh, Father, that you would speak to us this morning through your word, and I do pray through uh, the variety of, of, of examples that you've given us in Scripture that we would take heed, Father, uh, to these warnings, that we would really desire to walk obedient, we would desire to walk in love, and we would desire, Father, to walk in freedom with you uh, as your children. Lord, you tell us to mimic you, to imitate you. And I pray that that would be the resolve in our hearts, that we would really, above all, desire to bring glory to God. And so I pray that we would eliminate distractions right now and just uh, create a space, Father, right now uh, inside of our hearts and minds to really speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, let me say this as I uh, start to unpackage this. Personally, for me, for me, my heart has been broken as I've read about the sexual misconduct of certain Christian leaders over these last few months. My heart's been broken. I have literally been crushed, and I've been at a place of sadness and grief uh, that I haven't been in a long time. And as I said last week, the truth is it happens too often but the truth is, it can happen to any of us. 
It can happen to any of us. The warning in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3 says, let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed named among you, mentioned among you. Let, let none of this be happening. Again, Paul is writing to the believers in Ephesus, the temple of Diana, Artemis, all the sexual perversion that took place in that culture, people have repented, responded to the gospel, and Paul is writing saying, please do not let any of this stuff be mentioned among you. It's not fitting. He goes on to say, <clears throat> such sins have no place among God's people. So over these last few weeks, I've had multiple conversations here. Stories have surfaced about the sexual misconduct of one of my friends and one of my brothers who passed away last year by the name of Robbie Zacharias. And when I say friend and brother, Robbie and I, we, we had dinner together. Uh, we've driven and had conversations together. We've, we've talked together. Uh, when our oldest daughter, Rachel, was 16, she had the privilege of going to India with uh, Margie, Robbie's wife and Robbie's middle daughter, uh, Naomi. And I remember taking Rachel over to Robbie's house and we went into the living room and we sat there and talked for about an hour and had prayer before their team was gonna leave to go to India. So when I say my brother and my friend, this is not just like some dude I'd watched occasionally on television. Arzim, Robbie Zacharias International Ministries, Arzim, had a private firm do an investigation. A lot of things had been surfacing, a lot of talks had been going on, and they hired a group by the name of Miller and Martin, an independent, not a witch hunt kind of group, but it was a firm that they hired uh, to do a private investigation, and this group, in, in, they ended, ended up interviewing uh, many, many witnesses, if you will. Arzim reported at the end of December and there's been other things that have come out, and I would in no way dog Robbie. I love this brother. As I said on the forefront, this can happen to any of us. But Arzim came back and then reported, we have found significant, credible evidence that Mr. Zacharias engaged in sexual, sexual misconduct over the course of many years. Some of that misconduct is consistent with that which is reported in the news recently, and some of the conduct we have uncovered is even more serious. Now again, this is in Christianity Today. This is, was, was released, it was made known to the public. And as I sat there and started pondering this again, God had given my friend and my brother, Robbie Zacharias, a global platform for proclaiming the gospel and being one of the strongest minds ever in what we call the theological realm of apologetics, Christian apologetics, and an incredible platform. And uh, a lot of people have been given like great platforms over the years. God has raised them up. But as I read that, again, grief and sadness just kind of grabbed my heart. And I, I thought about this devastating news and how the impact is so widespread. A lot of times when we do what we do, for the pleasure of the moment, we don't factor in the collateral damage that's gonna be caused, if you will. 
And I think a lot of times if we just stopped, no matter what the sin is, and we even considered or even pondered and calculated the, the collateral damage that my sin and waywardness is causing, I, I think we would tap the brakes and desire to say, man, I gotta repent and get right. I gotta become accountable in this thing. Hunter, we know this, brother, in our own journey. So with this news that's come out and all the reports, I've thought about his wife, Margie, and I've thought about his three kids. And his son, Nathan, is a personal friend of mine. And I know so many people, and I had a conversation this week, uh, so many that have supported RZM over the years. And, and, and the thing that hurts us is this. I, honestly, this is one of the things that hurts us. When we've invested in people or when we believe in people or when we trust people, we feel lied to and betrayed when this kind of stuff has happened. And, it, and it's hard to get trust traction again if you will. With the reports that have come out, I've thought about the women in these various places that were violated and hurt and taken advantage of. I've thought about the donors of that ministry. And there's so many things that have grabbed me. A few weeks even before that, the report came out that Carl Lentz, that elevated, just incredible communicator, uh, pastor, at Hillsong Church up in New York, had been exposed for sexual immorality and sexual sin. And I know that Joel Houston and many others with that Hillsong movement really believed in this guy, and they entrusted things to him, and Carl has had to step down because of sexual immorality. And God had given Carl a national and global platform for preaching the gospel. And the heartache and the heartbreak and the mistrust and distrust that has happened there is so sad. As I've studied through Ephesians over the years, I can honestly tell you this. I've memorized many passages out of Ephesians. I've memorized Ephesians 2, 8, 9, 10. That is such a strong text. I've memorized much out of Ephesians 5 on husbands loving your wives and responsibilities that we have. I've memorized much of Ephesians 6, that we're living in this spiritual war zone and we've got to put on the full armor of God daily. I'd never memorized Ephesians 5.3, but that's become such a warning to me. Let there be no sexual immorality. Let there be no fornication. Let there be no impurity. Let there be no greed and desire for more and more of the fornicating and impurity that's taking you down. Let there be none of that mentioned amongst you. Don't, don't even let that stuff be named among you as God's children. Now, here's what I would say, and here's what I've noticed over the years. I would tell you this. If you hit the genetic lottery, be careful. And what I mean by the genetic lottery would be this. If you're athletic, if you have great vocals, if you're a smooth communicator or a strong proclamator, 
If you've got attractive looks, if you're good looking, if you have wealth, you're second generation and you come from living with a silver spoon. If you hit the genetic lottery, be careful. Be careful. Because God has blessed you for his glory and not for your selfish pursuits. And I think a lot of times we mistake the blessing and giftedness of God if, if, as if we're something special because God's given it to us. And you're not. And I've seen so many over the years, whether it be athletes and entertainers, etc., that claim Christ but just explode. And one of the statements I've made over the years is this. When your giftedness and your talent and your abilities take you further than your character can sustain you, beware shipwrecks are bound to happen. We must develop character. We must develop integrity. We must develop the spiritual disciplines. We must develop the things of God. We must because God will not bless you for you to be the recipient of it. Any gift that God has given us has been given to us for the glory of God and for the good of our neighbor. Our focus must be upward. It cannot be turned inward or outward. The only reason God would ever do anything in our lives would be for his glory and the good our neighbor. And oftentimes we, we get them twisted and we become egotistical and arrogant and it's sad. Now I want to go back. If you got your Bible, I want you to flip back a few pages to Ephesians chapter 2. And as Paul began to speak in to the life of these Believers, after he's prayed for them and encouraged them, he made this statement. He said, remember once upon a time you were dead. You were dead in your sins and in your trespasses. You were dead in the disobedience because of the many sins that you lived in. You used to live just like the rest of the world. Remember when you were lost, you were a pagan, you were alienated from God? You remember when you were controlled and patrolled by only seeking after the desires of your flesh, the pleasure of the moment. Remember when you lived a lifestyle of hedonism. You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world. Don't, 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 don't miss this. Obeying the devil. But when we were dead in our sins and trespasses, we would never want to believe it, but we were being controlled and influenced by the devil. And that's what he's saying. All of us used to live that way. We were following the passionate desires of our sinful flesh. Now, I want you to pause. Think about this, Benji. I want you to pause and think about this in regards to sexual sin. Those who are living in habitual sexual sin, again, whatever your bondage area Lust, alcohol, drugs, gossip, 
whatever, whatever your area could be, bitterness. When you're living that way, dead, the word dead means I was numb, I was calloused, I was oblivious to. You, you see, I had not been redeemed and awakened and I did not have the spirit of God. I was dead, I was numb. And when we become dead and we become numb and we become calloused, here, here's what I know. Even for a person who has come to faith, you cannot experience satisfaction with God. The satisfaction and the joy of the Lord becomes removed when you're living in habitual sin. It's almost like you're reverting back to a dead, numb, calloused, oblivious to state. And we become void of God's purpose, and we become void of the holiness of God, and wisdom is dead, and purity is dead, and love is dead, and we, we just become calloused. And, and, and I've seen this happen over the years. It's like I was talking to a young man this week, 22 years old, he's in a different state, but he had opened up the door over the last years to what we call less wild lovers. And he was numbing and sedating with the things of the world. And I told him, when you do not have strong structure, accountability, and spiritual disciplines, disciplines in your life, the tendency of the flesh is to turn to SAD, sex, alcohol, and drugs, to sedate, medicate, validate whatever we do with them. And I was sharing this with him. And he's like, that's where I've been. I've grown up in the church. And I said, I had church affiliation. I walked an aisle at 13. Hey, hey, Jesus saved me. I don't want to go to hell. I had these let's make a deal with God moments over the years. But I never came to God on God's terms until I was 22 years old. And he's bawling his eyes out. He goes, I've never surrendered. I've never come to God on God's terms. I said, I know but you can today. But for all of us, if we're not careful, we can give in to just living life dead. We can have church experience and church affiliation, and we can go to Christian camps or whatever, even go to Christian counseling. But until we violently repent and res respond through surrender, what we're gonna do is still live a life of negotiation. And let me say this to you, I can promise you, and this is after, again, 35 plus years of walking with the Lord, for people who are living in bondage, not walking in freedom, who are being dominated by sin, I can promise you this, my brother Drew, trying to reform yourself and trying to fix yourself, if you're living according to the passions of the flesh, and if you're living according to the desires of the mind and the body, it is very foolish for us to think, Carl, that we can reform ourselves and fix ourselves. We can't do it. When Paul says, I know that there's nothing good that dwells within me, I do not have the resources inside of me to fix me. It has to be a supernatural transformation that only comes through the power of the Holy Spirit that can bring about the renovation of the heart. And you've got to get to the root of the sin, and you've got to be willing to repent of it. One of the things I wrote is, you cannot overcome sexual immorality on your own. 
Freedom comes with a right relationship with Jesus. It is a passionate heart towards God that begins to mold and shape my life that it becomes a proven life. If I'm going to live a proven life, it's going to have to come from the work of God. Selfishness and pride dissipates the more I engage with Jesus. It's amazing how humility and love and compassion for neighbor, Rick, starts to happen the more I fall in love with Jesus and allow the Holy Spirit to crush those things that are not of God. And I would tell you, please allow the Lord to bring about satisfaction and meaning in your life. Let me hit you with another one. 2 Samuel chapter 12, okay? 2 Samuel 12 is a very troubling chapter. And uh, it talks about David and his sexual misconduct and sexual perversion and where it took him. But if you read 2 Samuel chapter 12, the first three verse or the first three words of that first verse are some of the most haunting, troubling words for me. And the scripture reads, then it happened. Then it happened. And if you read it, it says, then it happened in the spring of the year, at the time that kings would go out to battle, David stayed at home. And then that's where he was lusting after Bathsheba. He takes her and he has sexual relations with her and he eventually has her husband Uriah killed. But it's three of the most devastating words. Then it happened. Then it happened. And I would tell you some of the things that have happened in our life where the enemy was trying to destroy your soul and destroy your body and take you out it didn't have to happen, but then it happened because we took our eyes off the, the Lord. This is the dude who's written so many beautiful song, uh, psalms and the, the dude who has killed Goliath and the dude who's really stood in the gap between God and, and the enemy, and then it, then it happened. As I said before, it can happen to any of us. Then it happened. And if you go back and read 2 Samuel 12 later, I can tell you David violated four key principles, and I've written these down, and I've pondered these, Jack, for many years, brother. The first principle I would tell you is this, be who you're supposed to be. Identity, identity, identity. Know your identity and be who you're supposed to be. David, you're the king. You're supposed to be out in battle. You're supposed to be leading men. And David, you're staying at home and you're not being who you're supposed to be. You're being a playboy and that's not what your assignment is. I'm a child of the king. Tim, just be who you're supposed to be. There's no pressure. I, I'm your father. I love you. I want the best for you. I want you to be who you're supposed to be. I want you to be my child and my son, and I want you to walk as beloved. Just be who you're supposed to be. The second thing that David violated was this. Be where you're supposed to be. Just be disciplined. Again, it was the time of year. Kings were supposed to be out in battle leading their men. Where, where are you? 
I'm not where I'm supposed to be. And if any of us have experienced wreckage in our life, and if any of us have experienced like moral wreckage that has created collateral damage, Brian, listen to me, brother. I can promise you it's because we were not being who we were supposed to be. And we were not being where we were supposed to be. When you get into places that you're not supposed to be, we end up opening the door for the enemy to attack us in great ways. The third thing is do what you're supposed to do. Just be responsible. An ability without accountability and responsibility is a liability. It's like just, 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 just do what you're supposed to do. Just walk humbly. Just carry out the assignment. But the enemy is real and the battle is real and most people don't even understand that we're living in a battle field and not a play field and they think life is all about pleasure and it's about about battling. Satan is trying to take every one of us down. And I would tell you this from a guy's standpoint, have other godly men around you. David, you didn't have any godly men around you, bud. You were not accountable. You isolated. And so many guys isolate. And I can promise you when women fall into sexual sin, they, they start to isolate from their friends. They're not being transparent, accountable. They're not being responsible. And you've got to be willing to have people speak into your life that love you enough to correct you and reprove you when you're out of bounds. I don't know where I would be today without those guys. I I really don't. Even when I was with UPI for all those years, I mean, my buddy Tom Tabor and my brother and buddy John Burrow, they called Barb every month. They would ask her a, a line of questions. Those guys looked at me every month, every week. How are you doing? How's your soul? And there was a list of 10 or 12 questions. And the last question after we would go through all of them would be this. Have you lied about any of the above? And these were heartfelt questions. And I've got these accountability questions if you would like. them. But I had enough people around me to say, you've got to get godly men in your space and allow those guys to keep their eyes on you. You're not that good. And my buddy Tabor used to tell me all the time, Benji, sitting in JRs, he would look at me and he goes, Money, Satan wants to take you out. Satan wants to take you out. And we've got to have people praying for us You know, one of the things I've noticed as I've dealt with this kind of irresponsibility with guys over the years, like when David had Uriah killed, and I've seen this, and this is sobering, this is heartbreaking. I have noticed that when specifically men are living in sexual sin, they're okay with getting rid of those in their way. You you see some of these TV shows, these crime shows of where a guy will kill his wife and try to hide and do all this stuff because he's got another chick on the side. But I've dealt with guys. I was dealing with a guy about five years ago, and he had national notoriety and fame in ministry. And he told me, he said, I was praying that 
his wife would be killed in a car wreck where he could hook up with this other chick and be the hero and raise his family. He told me that. Do you not realize that the ruins of sexual sin will take you so far that your ability even to, to think and reason from a rational standpoint will be so eroded it's not even funny? I, I started looking at this going, not only am I okay with Let's just get rid of the wife. Let's get rid of the friends. I'm going to get rid of all authentic fellowship. I will refuse. Here, here's, the, here, here's the point. I will refuse to be known. You're not going to know me. And even if you try to have conversation with me and grab a hold of me, I have bathed in Vaseline, brother. You will slide right off. You can't. I don't, I don't want you knowing me. Sexual sin will always lead to disappointment. Sexual pleasure is false intimacy. One brother said to me recently, I was living in two adulterous relationships. It was insanity. I would finish the sexual act and immediately I would fall into tears. I was devastated by what I had done only to return again and again and again to the same sinful relationships. It is insanity. Check this out. I have people in my office that have affair after affair after affair. They cheat on their spouse over and over and over again, or they're involved in porn. They're ashamed. Why are they ashamed? Because on some level, they're not at peace with what they're doing. It is a moral failing, and people know they're doing this moral failing. But when we make those types of decisions, it actually causes changes in the brain. It activates the fear circuitry of the brain. This is called the amygdala. And when the amygdala activates it and, and stays active chronically, it actually impairs the love circuits of the brain, anterior cingulate cortex. We become more self-oriented. So when somebody looks at porn for the first time, what happens is they'll get an excitement, but they'll also have the orbital cortex fire. And and tell them this is inappropriate, don't do this. And they'll have an apprehension or tension associated with it as well. If they chronically expose themselves to porn, this is very fascinating, there is actually a molecular change occurring on a genetic level in the orbital cortex of the brain where protein that was not really expressed there before um, called delta-fos-B actually alters the expression here and, and causes a desensitization. What this actually means then, if you want to use a biblical in inference here, is that their consciences are becoming seared. And the part of the brain that gives conviction of wrongdoing and redirects inappropriate behavior on a genetic and molecular level and structural level changes such that it stops responding. They get less and less conviction of guilt, less and less anxiety and stress at doing it, and pretty soon they become numb and there's no more guilt at all. People who've damaged their pleasure centers in this way will often be disinterested in their healthy relationships, will often become apathetic, and then will seek out more either high-risk behaviors or drugs or other types of things like this to stimulate the, the pleasure centers. So they can feel this. Now, rather than giving a, a time for these circuits to heal themselves, where they can actually then start experiencing pleasure in a normal way. You know, I've looked into this over the years because I desire to see each and every one of us walk in freedom. There's a group out of Utah called Fight the New Drug, which deals with this whole area. But I came across that, I was watching that video the other day, and I was like, it does, it jacks with the psyche, and it, it rewires the brain. And here's, here's what I know. We are created. We are created for intimacy and delight. 
God created us that way. But those desires can only be satisfied in a personal relationship with the Lord. That's the reason even the psalmist would say, delight yourself in the Lord. The person living in habitual sexual sin has reached a place where they're finding no intimacy with God because you can't live in sin and experience intimacy with the Lord because you're, you're quenching the Holy Spirit. And the problem is you find no real lasting pleasure in false intimacy. You find no real pleasure in false intimacy. Real intimacy, true intimacy, has both pain and pleasure. False intimacy offers the illusion of no pain, but in the end, there's no real pleasure and just all pain. And you guys know that, that have battled or struggled or have yielded in this area. When we exchange the truth of God for a lie, it's that you end up with pleasure for a moment, but pain forever. It sears the conscience. It damages us. Our old sinful flesh was ruled by the desire to satisfy ourselves. It was to rebel against God. I'm rebelling against God. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. And it was to ignore our deeper problems. But here it is. The heart is deceitfully wicked and sick. And without supernatural change, it will only grow more sick. Our only hope, Jack, based on the teachings of Titus, is the grace of God, where he says we must turn from all ungodliness, turn from worldly passions, and live a life that is self-controlled, righteous, live godly lives in Christ Jesus. That's our only hope. Now, start to, to move toward a wrap here with you. But when sexual sin happens... It's hard to say this, but it's true. We shouldn't be shocked. Sad? Yes. Heartbroken? Yes. Crushed? Yes. But based on 1 Corinthians 10, 12, he says, take heed. Pay attention. So that you do not fall. Verse 13, he says, no temptation has taken you, but such is common to man. And God is faithful, and God will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able to bear. But with every temptation, God will make a way of escape for you. But take heed, because the enemy comes seeking after anyone to devour. So again, as Howard Hendricks did this study years ago with guys who had given into sexual temptation and sexual immorality and sin, there were pastors, he said there were three things that happened. He said, one, God said, that'll never happen to me. Two, guys had backed off of their time with the Lord in worship and word and prayer. And three, he said they had no accountability. And those three things right there are so essential. When sexual sin and this kind of stuff we read about it happens, it is a reminder for me to watch my playgrounds, my playmates, and play toys, but specifically my playgrounds. Watch what arenas you're in. 
It's been said if you sit in the chair long enough, the barber chair, you're going to get a haircut. And I think sometimes we sit there entertaining and pondering the sin and thinking, well, that will never happen to me. You sit in the barber chair long enough, somebody's whacking you before you know it. Remember a few years back when Mike Pence was so criticized and ridiculed because he said he would not sit down in a restaurant or anywhere and have a meal with another female outside of his wife and people ripped him. And he goes, man, I've got to have guardrails in place. I would just say pay close attention. And, And to me, as I've gone through this and have been pondering this over the last weeks, the third thing I would tell you is this. God's gifts can be used to serve others or abuse others. You can either leverage the gifts that God's given you for the glory of God to serve others, but I can tell you this, Satan desires to disrupt every one of our lives, and whatever your gift is, it's never been given to leverage self. God's presence leads to freedom, and this is a word play that means something to me here as well. It leads to freedom. And when I'm walking in freedom, it leads to walking righteous and pure. I'll hear people say, hey, man, are you walking in victory? Personally, I have never liked that phrase. Yes, I've got victory in that area. I don't, I don't like to say that because victory implies something that's final. In Christ, the victory is won. But I prefer saying I'm walking in God's freedom as I stay in God's presence. You follow me? Hey, you got victory there? No, I, I, I don't. Now, God is able, but I'm walking in freedom as I stay in his presence, and God just wants me to stay in his presence. And as I press in, it's legit, right? It's a fight. We are at war. But if you're committed to living a devoted life to Jesus Christ, you've got an enemy that's wanting to disrupt your world. First Peter 5 says, again, your enemy, your enemy, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking just someone to devour. Just someone. Just someone. He's cool with taking anybody down and anybody out. Just someone. And as soon as we let down the guards, as soon as we think that, well, that won't happen to me, I quoted 1 Corinthians 10 already. No temptation has taken you. God will provide a way of escape. The word temptation is interesting. I mean, I've got to realize that temptation is the the devil's tool to try to lure me away from God. Temptation means to entice a person to commit sin. Temptation is a trick used by Satan to take me and get me away from obeying God and honoring God. And we're told in Scripture, do not be ignorant of his schemes, which means if I yield to it, I was ignorant, which meant I was ignoring, which meant I I, I didn't pay attention to. And a lot of times when we jack things up, it's easy to want to deflect why this happened or I, I, I took my eyes off the Lord. I refused to submit. I opened up the door. For the enemy to come at me. He was banging on the door. I opened it. Now let no one say uh, when he's being tempted, he's being tempted by God. God doesn't tempt anyone. Temptation is from the enemy. The word test is an interesting word. 
God allows us to go through various tests because a test will be used by God to prove our character. Even David in 1 Chronicles 29 says, I know that you test the heart and you're pleased with integrity. So God allows our hearts to be tested. Even as gold is being purified, he goes, hey, I, I, I want you to stay with me now. So being tested is a good thing. Temptation is to take us away from God, and then God allows us to go through trials at times to purify our faith through suffering and adversity. Here, here's it in wrap. I would know this verse as well, 1 Peter 1.14. As obedient children, hey, remember, imitate God, mimic God, follow the example of Christ, Walk in his steps as obedient children. Do not be conformed to the former lust that were yours in your ignorance. Ignorance, remember when you were dead in your sin and your trespasses? Do, do not be conformed, molded, and shaped by that. Allow the Holy Spirit to mold and shape and conform you into the likeness of Christ. Because just like the Holy One, be holy yourselves in all your behavior. It is written, you shall be holy as I am holy, who, God, I want you to be holy as I am holy. I want you to mimic me. I want you to walk in holiness. I want you to be sanctified and set apart. I want you to press into me. So God's will is for each and every one of us, every one of us to live a life of personal holiness. And the second thing I would tell you this is God's will is that you really do experience freedom in the midst of temptation because you're practicing the presence of God, Rick, and we're leaning in going, I got to have you. Hey, thank you so much for watching the message. Uh, we hope that you really pulled some things out of it. And just know that our desire is for every person, whether you ever step in this building or not, to become fully alive in Christ. Yeah, we want to see you committed to Christ. We would love to see you connected to others in a small group. And we believe it's important to uh, become a contributing member to the body of Christ through uh, sharing your faith, uh, as well as financially investing in the work of God. That's right. And so we pray that you're growing, that you're striving forward. There's so many resources on the website. You can watch past messages, hear testimonies from people. But we pray that you utilize those. And we hope to see you on a Sunday morning. Hey, make it a great day and enjoy uh, the abundant life in Christ.